0: Greetings and welcome back to ZatCast, the official podcast for local government nerdery. I'm Chad, that is Patrick. After the holiday hiatus, we are uh, back in full swing. And today we are going to talk about um, how to handle news articles that you may or may not know are false. And we're also (laughs) going to to, uh, talk a little bit about uh, insurance offsetting, you know, some of the property tax savings that we're all expecting. Uh, Patrick Scott- some personal experience, and then some opinions about that. So, uh, But before we start, how are you doing, Pat?
1: I'm great, man. I'm great. How are you? Fantastic. It's 2024. The kids are back in school. Finally. Productivity levels have have drastically gone up over the last couple of days at Zach, if you've noticed on the the back end.
0: I can tell you, yesterday, my productivity level was about zero, even though the kids are finally back at school.
1: Because it was just like,
0: well, I had to clean up. I still haven't finished cleaning my office. But it's just like, I just needed a little bit of decompression time. Mm -hmm. I think like I got some stuff done, you know, we did some client work, Um, but like I couldn't get back into programming quite yet. I couldn't get
1: into like a flow state sort of mind. So I used to make fun of you for this all the time when we were in city management, but you would always talk about like workloads and like how you accomplish like the efficiency of work. And, and like doing projects for a certain period of time and then kind of taking some time off from that project and doing something else and like how that would impact your productivity level in your mind. And I used to, I, I need to, I need to like me a copa here because I have found that when I do not have white space in my work life, right. I'm less efficient. So if I try to go from like eight to five and just grind out, I'm less efficient in that time period than I am. If I work in like blocks of time, so my schedule blocks are very different now than they were obviously when I was a city manager. Uh, but it's, it is really interesting. I, and I think everybody's a little different. I know you have some philosophy on that. And, and for me, it's really, I think it's really taken me into my old age now that I'm over the hump. Uh, it's really taken You're halfway me. halfway there. <laughs> I'm halfway there. Yeah. Uh, now that it's, you know, it's taken me some time to really realize that I am actually more efficient working um harder not smarter i guess i don't know which way you want to look at that but but working uh, a tighter schedule like in blocks than i am if i just try to run 8 hours through it's it's kind of a kind of interesting way to look at it i'm also more so, efficient if i if i work out earlier in the day because i i tend to be able to be more focused in the afternoon
0: i think there's a difference in the type of work that we do mm-hmm. you do a lot of client relations and talking yeah. on the phone um, which my wife does the same thing and it's exhausting. Yep. I mean, for me talking on the phone for like this podcast, I'm going to be drained <laughs> just, just talking for, an, <laughs> you know, 45 minutes, an hour. Um, but for it's me, it's if, cause
1: you're having to look at my face for 45 minutes. It just
0: drains you. Uh, yeah. Well, it's cause my face is totally overexposed on my camera. Um, hmm. so it's kind of like distracting me anyway. Uh, the type of work that I do If I can get into a flow state, I can go for five hours and I won't even notice. But as soon as I get distracted, it just totally resets everything. And so that was was for me, not so much like I have a two hour block for this and I have a 30 minute block for that. It was just like, I just know that I need to be able to get into a state of mind where I can be really, really productive. Mm -hmm. And if I know I'm going to have distractions, then it's much more difficult to do.
1: Interesting. Interesting. Which, which you so, do, you do have an interesting work cycle. Um, I joke with people that I'm like the one person that can break through. Like, because if, I, if, if I call you and everything's on silent and you're in the middle of something, um, it's not going to go through. But if I hit you up a second time, you know, I actually need to talk to you. So you'll answer that phone. Well, right. I have
0: do not disturb on my phone from like nine thirty to four thirty, 30. And uh-huh. there are basically three people who have access
1: to break through that. Yeah. So. And I, Am am I one? You're one. Yes. So good. Now, I will say the cool thing about, uh, you know, because we are an Apple company, right? We use all Apple products, basically, except for some of the folks who have to work on the finance side and deal with some of that. But um, it is cool that Apple allows me to see that you're in that because then I will, I, I sometimes I'll text you stuff that doesn't really matter because I know you're not going to see on the do not disturb on the tech side, right? Yeah. Um, but it does allow me to see that like you're probably in some type of flow at that point. And not so I'm going to be honest with you. Are you talking about like iMessage? Yeah, it's
0: it'll say like I have notifications turned off. Yes, I don't know how to how to fix that <laughs> because I don't actually have notifications turned off most of the time. No, it's in the Do Not it Disturb it stuff though. Like if you have no, a Do Not Disturb set, it's this. It, it it's going to be for the notifications too, right? Yes, but I don't have like it will show up even if I don't have notifications turned off. Okay. So I I don't know maybe it's just some weird setting like sixteen you
1: know screens deep but mm-hmm. I, I have not been able to figure out how to turn that off yet. So two two things in technology one for Christmas the company bought Chad a new Mac and the speed is significantly enhanced versus old Mac. I'm I it imagine. is but I don't have it
0: fully set up yet. Okay, so we're not using but the full power. This is my, of this I'm new, using the old chip, chip system. system. Yeah, okay. but they have the new M3 chip on the iMac finally. And so after about five years, it was worth the upgrade.
1: Yeah. Is that like yeah. a thousand times faster than the old chef? Oh like gosh, what's it's, the? It's so fast. Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I'm sure that over time it will, it will bog down. Yeah. But yeah. Like just, just even opening up apps. is like instantaneous. How many tabs Versus, do you have open right now? Um, on my old computer. Yeah. If I could even figure it out. Cause they're <laughs> spread across. Well, I only have six windows open, but I, I mean, I probably got 50 tabs open. Okay. That's
1: not very many. many. I can't live that way. I'm sorry. I get, I get to like 10 tabs, one window and I'm like, I got to clean it up. I got to shut them down. I can't, I can't live. I can't live your style.
0: Declutter. How many tabs do you have open on Safari on your phone?
1: Oh, you know, that doesn't bother me
0: as much because you don't see it. Right. But hold on. I'll go check. I think there's a maximum capacity of 500 open tabs.
1: Uh, where does it, does it show you a number? It doesn't show yeah, you. Yeah, if you. Oh, it does, 100, 165 tabs. Okay. that's. And I will say every once in a while, like, especially when Safari starts running goofy, I'll just go through and close everything on the tabs. So, you know, my wife uh uses private browsing and so she never has anything open. Once she closes out, everything closes out. Right? Mm-hmm. So, which I find very interesting. I do not use the private browsing function. I used to use it only for Orange Bloods
0: because they had a login glitch and it wouldn't let you log in.
1: But in the
0: private browsing mode, it would. We're not going to so. dig
1: into this a lot, but Orange Bloods is in total freak out mode now because no. Sark is on the market for Alabama. No, he's good. We're all he's, good. We're all good. Everything's fine. We're all good here. <laughs> Everything goes fine. Let's not talk about it. <laughs> so uh, the second here. thing I wanted to talk about on technology, by the way, uh, before we get started, is Apple came Pro. out with the Vision Pro. And Chad has already started to send out vision pro videos to me and the pre-order window starts in like what, eight days, seven days. Yeah. Okay. Next Friday. Uh, So we're going to need that first client of ours to want to take (laughs) meetings on vision pro so that we can justify Chad's purchase of vision pro uh, for, uh, for Zach. So anyone who's looking to have their sales
0: tax data, like take over their entire vision. Yes. Let me know so that we can justify like building out an app for it.
1: I mean, I'm thinking like we should be able to like have this where like your sales tax, you know, chart like rises from your hand, right? That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool. And so just uh, minority report where you can just like flick taxpayers around. Hey, hey, we're we're not going to leave any technology untouched. Just like uh, we currently have integrated some AI functions. We will, we will integrate some of this. So uh, at some point we just got to see, you know, what it's going to be. Will this be the new, you know, major product launch for, apple i don't know it's gonna be interesting it's real expensive
0: it is i don't think that this kind of technology is going to become like totally mainstream until they're just glasses like you can't walk around with a big thing on your head like looking like a fly uh and i think also the the vision pro like i think it has to be plugged in
1: it has to it has to be plugged
0: into the battery pack yeah and the battery pack is like this big brick that Sits it's on the okay. desk or on the ground or something. It's
1: actually it's a, it's a, it's basically like the size of a uh, an iPhone Plus. Okay, so it's not too big. Yeah,
0: but yeah, like it's not practical to use it in everyday life, even though you can like kind of see through it. Yeah. Um. So I, it's it's more of like a computer, but
1: yeah. So, but for me though, like it, you know, I'll be interested. I would imagine that we're probably going to purchase some of these because. When is Zach Because not I purchased? have a credit card. <laughs> when is Zach not purchased a new Apple product? Uh, I'm not sure it's ever happened. Um, but I will be interested to see because like watching the video and like the full functionality of like having just like a mega computer screen in front of you, especially in the data analytics stuff that we do, and look at that, like I could see that being uh really increasing productivity to a level that would make it worth the purchase right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so that, that to me is pretty interesting and, and I'll be there. And then, you know, also just the, the ability to uh, what I thought was the coolest about it is it kind of takes away the keyboard altogether and you basically just speak and it, it recognizes what you're trying to do based on the words that you say and go, I want to test that obviously to see if it's as cool as the video shows it out to be, but you know, it seems like, you know, Hey, FaceTime and it pulls up FaceTime, right? Uh, Safari, and then as you start speaking, it browses and finds things, it does, you know, those type of things. So it's, it's getting there. I agree with you when they become like a thin set of Oakley glasses, that's going to be a game changer for them. Uh, now these are uh, for anybody who has the Facebook, uh, what's the ones that we bought a couple of years ago to check out? They made me sick. Oh, the Oculus. The Oculus? Yeah, yeah. Like I can't, I can't do the Oculus. That's a they, gaming system though. It I mean, is. It's kind movies of movies and stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's just like, I can't find my center of gravity there. It like makes me dizzy. Yeah. Uh, but the, the cool thing about the Apple glasses is, um, you, you see the environment you're still in, right? So like you're looking at a computer, but you still see the wall behind it. Mm-hmm. Right. You still see the furniture in front of you. And then like when somebody walks in the room, the glasses actually show you the real state of the person who's there. Right. So, Um, that's a pretty big advancement over what Oculus has. And it's, it's the biggest trip up that most people have with Oculus, right? Um, but you're right. Apple's much more, it's like the iPhone. They're much more into the productivity side with this product than they are, you know, like a gaming system. In fact, the video doesn't show, if I remember right, I don't think it shows any gaming at all.
0: No, the promotional video may not. The marketing website talks about gaming. Okay, but Apple's never really been big in the gaming
1: world. so yeah, well, not really on the chart of things I want to talk about technology wise, but Netflix apparently is looking at getting in the gaming. So we'll see.
0: yeah, like putting games into the like into, into the, yeah. the queue of options that you have.
1: Uh, apparently into the queue of options, maybe actually working with a major gaming system to to have like you know,, uh, you know rental licensing. So like the Spotify game for games, basically, right?
0: Apple has that with the arcade.
1: Yeah, it's just not, it's not like high, you know, it's not like a high-end game that you would buy for yeah. like- honestly, Those-
0: Xbox has too, the Xbox Game Pass. It's I think expensive.
1: Is what it's- Ooh, it's pricey. It's not that bad. Yeah, it's like 50, 60 bucks a month, isn't it? How I, think much I, paid is it? Like, I think I pay like 20. Well, that's just for the online user stuff though, but you still buy the individual no. game, right? No, uh, it doesn't have every single game, but it has. And it doesn't have like games. the new stuff that the kids are going to demand. It right? did
0: not have like FC 24, the new FIFA. It's not um, the Tommy
1: Hilfiger or polo of our day. You get that? Do you get that reference? Like when we Tommy, were growing up, like everybody oh, yes Tommy, yes, Tommy yes. Hilfiger
0: and my parents yeah. would say, we I remember when Tommy I got Hilfiger. my first Tommy Hilfiger shirt, I was like, wow,
1: wow. I've made it. I've got the logo. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and the boots, the polo boots when they came out, you remember those?
0: And everybody would put like the waterproofing
1: stuff on them. No, Doc Martens were before the polo boots. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember polo boots. And then Doc Martens kind of got associated with, you know, kind of a a different crowd. And so then people moved from like that to more of like a polo boot, a little more preppy in my world Uh, at least. I
0: can tell you that I bought my wife some Doc Martens for Christmas at her request. Because I think they're coming, they're making a comeback
1: they Hey, 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 that's good. All right. Uh, do you own a pair of cowboy boots? Like a nice pair of cowboy boots? I did. And they got stolen. Whoa. Somebody stole your cowboy boots yeah. from a truck.
0: I left my, this is my old truck. I left my wow. old truck unlocked out in the street.
1: Oh, okay. At the old house. And yeah, they got stolen. Wow. Yeah. So about two years ago, I bought my, you know, once in a lifetime boots, like the, the only boots you ever buy type of boots. And, uh, they have finally gotten to the point of break-in. I don't wear them very much, but they've finally gotten to the point of break-in where they're almost more comfortable than my tennis shoes. Yeah.
0: I'm at the stage right now where I am. Everything is just about comfort. (laughs) So (laughs) like my shoes are pretty much all slip-ons and they're all super comfortable. Wow. You were so old.
1: Well, they're not like loafers. Can we talk about your, can we talk about your new obsession with, uh, pants joggers joggers
0: yeah so we're gonna spend like here 15 minutes before we get into any meat
1: i uh, know we're not yeah
0: no it's fine yeah so i i used to just wear shorts until i absolutely could not like during the winter mm-hmm. um i just tough it out i mean how how often am i actually outside you know like a couple minutes walking in and out of the car so i would just wear shorts um all the time my son does the same thing i i don't know if he does it because I used to, but whatever. So this year I decided I'm going to just break down. I'm going to get some nice sweats, some nice joggers, like just have some actual pants that I can wear. And I got to tell you, Patrick, I have never been more comfortable in my life. (laughs) It is amazing. And they're they're not like, they're, they're like nice pants too. So like you can, I wouldn't wear them to like a fancy steak dinner, but you can wear them and not look like a ragamuffin.
1: Yes, yeah, So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to give a, uh, like an adult warning here. Uh, no cuss words or anything, but just, uh, you know, talk a little bit about underwear. Um, have you, have you gotten into like more of the fancy like underwears at this point? Like, like I've, you, my kids wear Ethicas. I'm sure there are plenty of people listening that their kids are wearing Ethicas, but you know, Ethicas are like a 15 to $24 single pair of, I would call them what, like gourmet underwear. I don't know. They're typically I think long. that you should talk
0: about gourmet things <laughs> in the same sentence as underwear,
1: probably not. So, but, um, Although, so I, I, mean, f- I first uh, yeah. of all, I first, you know, and, and we've talked about this a little bit, but I've been on like, you know, for what, almost like a year and a half at this point, I've been on like a, a healthy kick. Right. And you know, it's, it's, it's been good, but the first thing I bought, you know, because once you become uh less fat, you know, when you're super fat, a lot of times you can't buy these things. Like Ethica didn't, you know, when I was at my, my largest level, I couldn't really get into Ethica's cause they were too small. So when I got less fat, I was able to fit into them. So that's where I started. So that's where I'm at. My son for Christmas decided that I needed a pair of Lulu's. Uh, hopefully there are some Lulu club members out there who wear Lulu shorts. Uh, and he bought me five inch Lulu's to which I said, there's no way I'm ever going to wear these. They're too short. <laughs> da. da, da, da. So I put them on, and let me tell you, I love you me some Lulu shorts. <laughs> I go out in public in five inch Lulus. Yeah,
0: it just reminds me of all, all the dads who used to coach little league baseball back in the late '80s, early '90s. They'd all be wearing their like their bike shorts.
1: Well, it also a lot of people who know me too uh, will will realize how much weight I've actually lost when I tell them I can actually fit into a pair of Lulus now. So that help, right? Yeah. Yesterday was a big day for me. Is that when you got the pants? No, it's not when I got the pants. Yesterday was a big day for me because I got a new pair of jeans that is the same size of jean that I wore in eighth grade. Wow. Yeah. I was always kind of a big kid, you know, always shopped in the Husky section, always told my mom, I don't want to wear Huskies, right? (laughs) So all that jazz. And then I became an offensive lineman and I embraced the fat. That was that was kind of my, my mantra for a long time. Then I decided I actually want to live to see 60 years of my marriage, <laughs> so I better get skinny again. <laughs> but there it is. Um, all right. Hey, let's jump into yes, let's uh, jump our in. first topic. What do you want to start with?
0: So a couple of days ago, came across an article. We will not be discussing the location of the article or the publisher of the article, but it was an article about how parking is killing a bunch of businesses. right? In
1: and one then- of our 230 plus cities. Yeah. So take your best guess.
0: And so you, you know, you see these kinds of articles and it's, it's always presented without any sort of, uh, challenge, right? You get a bunch Mm of handful of business owners and they tell you how bad things are. And it's definitely because of this one cause. And then that's the story, right? So we decided to take a look, uh, at this particular location. And what we found was not really the case no a couple of the businesses are having some down periods but
1: and really not even part, the business who was complaining in the
0: article right right yeah so yeah. like for the most part these people are doing pretty fine uh-huh. um i mean they've got some challenges because there's development around but not quite there yet and so you know it is what it is but like they're not on the brink of, of bankruptcy at least as far as their their revenue numbers are looking at and so um so I, I pitched this to Patrick and I was like, what do you do in this scenario, right? You're a city manager. You got a bunch of businesses complaining to local media who's just lapping it
1: up. W- what do you do? And you know that you, you could refute it, but do you? So I think it is pretty standard operating procedure, especially for vocal individuals who like to point a finger at a city to find causation without correlation. And in this instance, that's exactly what you have. Does that make sense to you? Did I use the right statistical terms in your law? I think you're saying that you're trying to,
0: you're confusing correlation with causation, but that's a either way. Yeah. I I think the the point
1: remains. Yes. Correct. Thanks, Brain. Appreciate that. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. So while we continue to dominate the world, I believe from a management perspective, and I always took this. And I have a lot of conversations with clients and managers about this as well. But I believe it's extremely important for the city to wear these things on the sleeve um, and to actually discuss it and talk about it uh, and not just kind of sit back and take it. So when this occurs, I you know, I'm not saying that the city should go out in the press and basically publicize that, you know, and press release this and say that this is false and they're actually performing at this level because in some cases you may not even legally be able to do that because it's protected data. But that individual should be uh, invited to sit down and have a conversation with the city. And I think some of that data should be presented to that individual to prove up that, hey, at the end of the day, because I think a lot of businesses forget the data is available or they don't know, right? We, we would see that all the time. Like we would have a city that, or a business that would come in and talk to us and say, well, we're just not really doing well and we need some type of city incentive or I need a facade enhancement grant or I need a, you know, just looking for free money, right? Just fishing for it. And we'd go, well, that's funny because you're up 20% this year in sales tax. So is your non-taxable item sales dropping? Because you pretty much sell everything in your store. It's taxable. Um, but I mean, we would run across that. And, you know, sometimes people... stations in stations construction zones. Yes. Very Particularly, common. Yeah. Very common. We dealt with that uh, pretty extensively on some major construction projects as we were preparing for some major commercial development that was coming in. Um, and yeah, I mean, absolutely the case- <laughs> I don't know why you're pointing at your dog in the video. <laughs> so, but he was stretching. Uh, it was funny. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I think, I think it's, I think it's important to have those conversations. Right. And, and I know that's like going out on a limb. Like why why would I go at and have this conversation with that person? But I think it actually has a positive impact over time. Those people, people typically realize that, Hey, you're actually paying attention to these things as a staff, and two, um, if you do it right, they actually feel like you care about them. And I've always felt like as a manager in today's world, and you know, you read all the things that are going on in the management world today, it is extremely important for you to develop uh, depth relationships with individuals in the community and business owners, whether they're a resident or not, it's important to have that depth relationship. And in a larger city, that's hard to do as a city manager, but it's not hard to do from a city staff standpoint. Right, um, and I'll give you a prime example of this. Uh, just happened here locally., uh, we had a fire down the street, The house burned, uh, fire department came out, obviously pumped fire hydrants, which everybody in the city business knows. You're automatically gonna get sediment in those lines for a little while because you know, it, it dislodges a lot of stuff in the water lines. There was a guy posted on my absolute favorite app, nextdoor. I mean, I just love Nextdoor. It's my favorite. Uh, posted on next door and said, Hey, I've, you know, anybody give me some advice on how to handle this. Like the water has been coming out of my tap Brown for a day. And, uh, and there was some good posts. I actually went on there and post as, as an ex city manager, because I think most people in this town don't know who I am anymore, which is beneficial. So I went on there and post and said, Hey, there was a fire down the street. Just pick up the phone and call the city. They'll come out, flush the lines, blah, 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 blah. Uh, just realize it's probably going to take longer than just a single flush to clear everything out. Like it's, you know, if, if the pumpers were working really hard on that line, it's, it could take a little while. Um, but there was a resident who posted after me who I have no idea who they are, but went on there and posted and just said, I just want to say, I've always gotten great communications from the city, whether I reach out to them or they reach out to me. And if you go talk to this staff member and this staff member and this staff member, they'll take care of you by name. Right. I just thought that was really cool. I was kind of proud of the old city that I work in and still live in. Um, and I think in this instance, it would be beneficial too, like, That business owner would, before calling the press next time, maybe would call that individual staff member that had reached out to him. Uh, And I'm not sure we always do that. I'm not sure we always do a a good job of having an active communication two-way street with residents outside of like automated communication, right?
0: So you see a benefit of doing this proactively? I I do. Hey, I noticed that your business has been down the past six months. Is there something going on that the
1: city can help with. Is that a- yeah. Is there something we could do from a marketing standpoint? Is there something we could do to get you involved in some of our public events? You know, can we get you a boost spot here? Uh, you know, we always do a great job of recruiting new businesses, right? Like, Hey, here's a new, you know, $25,000, you know, entry 380 grant uh, for your business to come to our community. But do we always do a good job of like uh, really looking at that data, on a business retention side to have that conversation. I think a lot of cities rely on a chamber of commerce to do that, but I think that chamber of commerce doesn't have access to the same data that cities do or EDCs do right. To actually see business performance. Um, and so, yeah, I think there needs to be a proactive program uh, put in place to have those communications. I think that would be really beneficial. Well, all right then. Uh, so what do you got for today, Pat? So I want to talk about two things, both of them coming out of the, uh, the legislative side of Austin, Texas. Um, uh, first, I want to talk about Prop 4 uh, a little bit, kind of give everybody some some history here. There was a proposition on the ballot uh, that came from um, the Texas legislature, and it was a way to increase the homestead exemption on residential properties and reduce property taxes across the state. Everybody across the state in an owner-occupied house, uh, and even people across the state that were in uh, business properties would have seen a reduction in the overall property tax Bill that they received this year, Um, it was a pretty substantial decrease. So for me personally, I think it was a little over nine hundred dollars less in property tax this year versus last year, and so we saw that substantial decrease. But uh, not a scientific study at all here. But has anybody paid attention to homeowners insurance rates in a state of Texas and what has occurred through the insurance industry side? Have you mine don't mine don't renew until. April or May. So, okay. So I just got my renewal and they are set up right around the same time. Right. So property taxes are due, you know, December, January, and then, um, you know, the, uh, second half of, or the homeowners insurance renews in in January on January one as well. And so, yeah, we saw, I saw a really substantial increase in my homeowners insurance. My homeowners insurance went up almost $1,400, uh, and the value, so uh, just just to kind of give you an indication of how much that increase of $1,400 was I, was, I was previously paying about uh, 2400 a year for homeowner's insurance. Now, I'm in the North Texas area, so I'm not in like the storm, hurricane, wind load areas of the the Gulf Coast. Um, but I'm in the hail, you know, I'm for sure in the hail area of Parker County. The joke in Parker County is don't ever replace your roof because the hail storm would do it for you every 10 years, right? Um and and so certainly there's, there's going to be those, those costs there. Um, but ultimately I think it was really surprising to me to see such staggering increases, talking to my neighbors, talking to friends, uh, looking on chats and things like that. Um, you know, we've seen a substantial increase just in the cost of owning a home. Uh, and it's more than the reduction that we got, uh, from the state. So I just, I kind of wanted to bring that forward is, um, we've always said this uh, when you try to manipulate a taxation system or you try to do something within a taxation system um, it's always, there's always like this backfill that occurs. So, you know, like 10 years ago cities got criticized pretty hard because school district taxes were compressed and this was before they did the current compression system that's in place now. But uh, you, there was a a pretty significant compression reduction that occurred. Uh, And this is like the whole justification that the state gave for, uh, for caps on cities, for revenue caps on cities, um, was because with that school compression, basically cities tried to eat up that area so that people's tax bills were about the same, but cities could go ahead and recover real revenue. Now, I'm gonna be honest; I don't think that was a real thing. I think it was a totally political, you know, politically made up thing. And I was on a committee for TML back then when we were kind of fighting that. Um, but the the reality of it is is that I think we're seeing the same thing. Right. the insurance industry in Texas saw an ability to not change people's mortgage payments.
0: Do you think so? I mean I've been seeing reports about insurance increases all over the country. I don't think State Farm is even issuing new policies in California.
1: yeah, Florida's the same way.
0: So I mean is it you it's not unique to Texas?
1: It's, it's not unique to Texas, uh, for sure, that the cost of insurance is going up. And for sure, the cost of materials is going up, which is going to increase you know the cost of homeowners insurance as well. But the value of the home should be reflective of that, right? So if I'm going to take a 30% increase or whatever that may be, I mean, in this case, it's it, it was like 40%, right? So if I'm going to take a 40% increase, shouldn't my home value rise by 20 30%? to kind of correlate to that increase with the cost yeah, of construction but, and goods and all that type of stuff. I mean, it just, so what is your uh, increase look like over the past, say five years? Uh, so my homeowner's insurance uh, increased. Uh, it was, it was like 12% the year previous. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, the year before that I took about a hundred dollar decrease because I changed carriers. Um, and then I did go out to quote uh, this year and I was still the carrier that I was with is still the cheapest out of the quotes that I got, at least for the coverage level that I have. So, Mm you know, the other thing is, is under homeowners insurance now in Texas, a lot of, a lot of policies are uh, especially for wind and hail uh, you are going to have a minimum deductible of 2%. There's very few carriers who have a 1% or a thousand dollar deductible now for wind and hail. So, uh, so that's also a very interesting, uh, you know, point to be made. Well, yeah, a
0: premium hike and a deductible hike at the same time is kind of rough.
1: It is. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, granted, it is it is kind of an uncontrolled cost. And I just find it to be ironic, um, maybe a little perplexing that it is a regulated industry in the state of Texas, yet they don't look at it the same way as, as what they claim uncontrolled costs in cities are. That to me is, is the you know, the the hypocritical side of what's going on in Austin right now. There's a lot of populism in Austin. We're going to talk about something that kind of makes people feel a certain way. And that's what we're going to go after. Um, and so we're seeing that I'm going to, I'm going to kind of stay on this topic and go to one more issue that we're seeing this on as well. Um, and I actually spoke at a forum yesterday uh, with, some uh, some aff- different officials uh, from the North Texas region and and really kind of had some conversations about appraised values and taxable values and some other things. But one of the things we were talking about in there, I thought it was very uh, interesting to, to bring up, is uh, public education in this biennium, a record um, budget period, right? A record surplus. I think it was like, it ended up being like 35 or 30, seven thirty-eight billion, something like that. By the time we were all done, public education did not get an increase in funding. And the reason public education did not get an increase in funding is because the governor refused to sign any bills that did not include voucher funding. So there is a four billion dollar bill that is being held hostage at this point, vetoed and dead and you know not not moving forward, right? But there's kind four of like that- the Aggies national championship hopes, at least for this year. <laughs> yeah. And Texas national championship hopes for this year. Uh, and true. maybe, maybe next year if Sark goes to Alabama, but the, Hey, Elko has sorry, like one. Of the,
0: I, I just the, realized I forgot to say anything at the beginning. So uh, yeah, with, with the college football season ending, I wanted to get my last little barb in anyways,
1: don't yeah. want to derail. So please continue. Well, you did lose a game that you should have won. Just going to say that, uh, clearly a game you should have won. Uh, but some interesting play calls at the end, uh, you can't blame them for it, but at the same time, it it was a little rough, all that being said, I, right now there's this $4 billion that is held hostage in this conversation. And the governor's response to this is I'm going to endorse anybody who's pro voucher against incumbent Republicans. So you have this just absolute civil war that is occurring, especially in suburban and rural communities within the Republican party, which is fracturing it even more. Now, here's the deal. I don't want to get involved in the politics of vouchers. I don't don't want to get in the middle of that. I don't want to, you know, look, we work for urbanized cities. We work for rural cities. We work for suburban cities. We work for all of them, right? I don't want to get in the middle of that, but I will say, can you imagine if a city was holding on to a surplus of that size and just decided not to give a police officer a pay raise right we're just gonna let them be below market I mean
0: are you asking me or are you just asking no the, I mean uh, I know uh, how you f- I,
1: I know how you feel about public safety funding in general so <laughs> um but I mean the, the reality is like could you could you imagine that a city would hold on to a surplus like this? And not provide some level of service to the taxpayer. Like they're just taking taxpayer funds. This is these are these are monies that people have paid in property taxes. I want to tell you that. Yes. Yes. Because local property taxes, local M and O property taxes for school districts, you pay your local appraisal district. That money is sent up to the state. And then that money is sent back down from the state as a pure pupil or per student for funding formula. Right, but the
0: surplus right. that you're talking about is not property tax surplus. It's well, tax, it 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 kind of
1: it kind of is because it's in it's in the school funding side of
0: Yeah, but uh, I mean so it's actually, in the it's in
1: the same equation.
0: <clears throat> but we lowered the amount of property tax revenue coming in. We did. All things equal. Yes. And then replaced that paid for that
1: tax cut with the sales tax surplus. We did. But right. we did we did not provide that 4 billion dollars of additional funds. It was just that, replacing. No, it's not replacing. So they no, no. did, right, they did right. fund the, the replacement. Yes,
0: yes. Yeah. Let's be fair to them for a second. But they did fund that the replacement that increase would not be based on property tax. It would be because property tax has already been lowered.
1: Yeah, correct. Property step. tax has already been lowered, but the funding formula for schools takes into account state level funding, right? Which is sales tax, mainly sales tax generated in most cases and uh severance tax and other things. But, and then, um, you know it takes into account what the local fund at the at the local level, what's going to be brought in by property taxes, right? To me, that's a wealth tax in the state of Texas. the way that that's set up, it's basically an income tax. Some way somehow, it's a state level tax outside of a sales tax, in my opinion. It's just well, I mean
0: I don't know that that's necessarily your opinion. It is a state level tax. Yes, it's a state. It's a state level tax. It's a state level tax. Yes, that, it's a, yes
1: that local legislators locally. don't get yeah, that they don't get yelled at about it. Right, a local school board member gets yelled at it, and they actually don't have any ability to change that M and O tax rate. Right, so if they make a change, they actually get penalized in the funding formula. So it's like a there's a penalty that occurs if they try to lower the M and O rate. The state basically makes them backstop that funding loss that the state you know would would impact them but my point is I say all of this because there's $4 billion in funding out there. So what's going to happen? We've already seen the conversations. I've talked to a few superintendents, uh, talking to some local school districts uh, in my area and also just in North Texas in general. I think there's like 93 school districts in North Texas. Um, we've That's already so many, it's a lot of school districts. Yeah. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, but I mean, how many cities are there in North Texas? I agree. <laughs> But you know, the funny thing that we could do another podcast, we could talk about that because I feel like government is efficient at a smaller level, but you know, that's more because of the connectivity that you have with a resident. Um, But all that being said, this money was left there. It's still there. It's basically just being added to fund balance. It's not going anywhere. And the legislature, the governor specifically refuses to call a special session to at least deliver this money to local, to local school districts. So what does that mean to the individual taxpayer and why does this matter? Because you've already seen some school districts announce that they're in a deficit right now this year. So their budgets are sitting in deficits. I'm sure if you look at your local school district, Chad, they're probably in a deficit this year using fund balance to cover expenses. And next year we're going to see sizable deficits. So in my local school district, there's an expectation and, and they have one high school, Right just to kind of give you a size of district comparison. Uh, In my district, there's an expectation that they're going to have a $6 million deficit. So what what does that mean? How are they going to cover that gap? If they've already been in a deficit this year, are they going to be able to utilize fund balance for that? Maybe in year one, but they got to go two years, right? In the budget cycle until the state adds some additional funding. I feel like it is highly irresponsible of the governor to have that much of an impact on education just because he's upset about one single issue. He can't win on one issue. And so he's, he's held hostage another issue. Um, and I don't know why voters accept that. I'm gonna be honest. Um, you know, I, I don't know what brand of politics that is, but there's going to be local jobs, local teachers, and attrition that occurs. And maybe it's not going to be as drastic as it was when, you know, districts were declaring financial emergencies and all that type of stuff, but you're going to see less teachers get hired with larger class sizes in an actual impact on education in a post COVID world where we're just trying to play catch up. Right. And I would say it would be different for me if the money wasn't actually there. Right. It would be so different for me if the money wasn't actually there. But for me, it's you had the largest surplus in the history of Texas. And you can't even get along long enough to fund the constitutional requirement of the state. Like the core constitutional requirement of the state is public education in Texas. It's it's, To me, it's just how broken is the system at that point? Because he wants to look like a Florida governor who's running for president? Like, is he just, I mean, he just wants to be Ron DeSantis. I I just, I don't understand it. It's probably the most political I've ever been on a podcast, by the way. For sure. Yeah. I'm just kind (laughs) of letting you. Yeah. I mean, but I I just, I I am. Look, I'm a political science major from Texas A&M university. I mean, we've never really talked about this, but they basically teach you how to work in politics at that school. And I just, I, it's unrecognizable to me. At this point, it's unrecognizable to me that we would do something so detrimental to our core foundational principle just because we want to fund an ability for people to go to a private school through a voucher program. Um, I just don't know how you tie those two things together. Like if you want to get your public policy priority over here, fine, but you're holding this hostage over here. And to me, that's just, I don't know. It's going to impact the education of millions of kids across the state of Texas because one person made a decision to hold it hostage. Such a terrible political decision to me. Your thoughts, Chad?
0: We've seen similar types of things. Do you recall during uh, the COVID era with the defund the police stuff where I guess it first, I think it turned into a law, but at first it was just like a an executive order or legislative or like an executive edict that if any city reduced their police funding at all, yes, <laughs> it had to, it had to be proportional with the total budget reduction or they would potentially lose sales tax revenue.
1: Yeah. Populism gone wild.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, let's just stipulate that there are legitimate scenarios where a reduction in a police budget is perfectly fine. Um, and it is not the same thing as, quote, defunding the police. But because of that one sort of populist argument, we just see this shifting of, I didn't say shifting of power, but um, uh, assumption of power in Austin over lo- localities. So, I mean, is it surprising to me? I guess a little, but not maybe not as much as it is to you. How do,
1: but the question for me is how do we get so far off track in Texas compared to like historically how Texas operates?
0: Everything in politics is a game. Like we, we literally treat politics as a sporting event and to the point where like the principles behind things don't really even matter that much. It's just my team win or does your team win? And so, you've been used over the past eight years, 10 years, you've seen. The sides shift on so many issues, like parties change their beliefs over time, right? Like those things kind of adjust, but like it's been rapid over the recent years. Oh, well, I would, I would like, agree with that. I mean, like right? the voucher, but
1: the voucher debate for me is, is you know, I've, I've actually made this comment to a couple of people. Would Ronald Reagan have just sent somebody ten thousand dollars and said, "Go spend it how you want to spend it"? Would he have used a public dollar like that? In in a manner that was that unaccountable, no way. I mean, it kind of goes. Against, it it kind of went against the whole rise of Reagan conservatism, which is every public dollar should be accountable and verifiable. That was that was Reagan through and through. So, like, so I I agree. Like the paths have changed, um, but to the point where it's actually going to be detrimental to the education of a child in a classroom.
0: Okay. Do you want my real opinion? Where our education system is focused right now on what books are going to be in libraries, right? Uh, like, I mean, yeah, I get it. So, to the point where we're like banning religious books because, like, Song of Solomon is going to get banned from uh, libra- libraries if certain, you know, oh, because we created sort of, an animal, sort of right? high level rules are followed yeah. about what is and is not appropriate for children. Um, so like. No, I don't know where priorities are. Man, like, is it reasonable for teachers to go? Are they going to go the full biennium without a pay raise?
1: Yeah, I mean,
0: yeah, I mean, to me, that's insane. Like, you would never get away with that. And I assume that teachers are the only uh, public servants over which the state has authority that are going to go two years without pay raises.
1: Well, it's it's they're they're going to go without it from. Uh, from a statewide standpoint, the local districts are probably going to try to figure something out because of the competitiveness of of school oh. employees. Because with what money it's it's more co- it's more complicated. They'll they'll increase class sizes to hold on to, um, because the way the funding formula is set up, it's the incentives are goofy, right? Like, I mean, at at some point, maybe we should bring somebody on who's kind of a a pro at this from an education standpoint, because obviously we're city guys, right? Um, and we've dabbled in helping some school districts on taxation analysis and things like that. And that's kind of what opened my eyes to some of this. And so there are some like really good school board members and superintendents out there that really understand this information. Um, but I will tell you just, in my opinion, there's this, uh, there is a movement at the state level, at the TEA level, mm-hmm. uh, the director, Mike Marath and and crew, there's a movement to control localities in the education side at the state level, just like there is in the city level. Right. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a crazy scary thing. I want to get back to one more thing though. Cause I want, I want to, want use this, it, the movie, big short, you, you've watched that movie, right? You've seen it a couple of times, I'm sure. Yeah. I watched it a couple months ago. So they're walking out of the casino in the movie, the big short, after they had made some deals and, and got a better understanding of like what the debt swaps were going to do and all that type of stuff. Right. And, um. I can't remember the exact actors that were in there, but the two guys were like celebrating what was going on. Right. And maybe it was, uh, it was uh, Carol, uh, who, who Steve Carell, Steve. Yeah. Sorry. Steve Carell okay. who made the comment like, Hey, you need it. Like seriously, like, he's like, you need to stop celebrating. Right. Like this is, mm-hmm. you know, and then he, he told him, I can't remember what it was, but he said for so many, for, for so much uptick in unemployment, like you need to understand what's going to happen. Right. But for so much uptick in unemployment, uh, so many people are going to die. Like that's the the statistic there for every increase in class size we have. There's a lower percentage of ability to graduate and graduate. Yeah. Which means there's a higher percentage of kids who are going to die and who are going to be incarcerated. That's why we have public education. If you remove public education altogether, it's going to be more expensive for you. That's the whole reason why it's a constitutional requirement in Texas is because it is a it is a public good. It's a public need in order to secure a, a fundamentally productive <laughs> democracy. Yes. Like, where are those simple things getting lost in today's world? Where are they? It's getting but, lost in culture wars.
0: It is. It's but get, if, It's getting lost in, oh, well, this school is teaching this thing or this school is allowing this kid to wear that or whatever the case may be. And – when you have power in a culture
1: war, you you use it. But, hey, if you want vouchers, you're not losing the voucher debate because of Democrats in the state of Texas, guys. You're losing the voucher debate because you have Republicans who want that money to be accountable, right? They don't want to just sign a check, you know, give a check to somebody and say, hey, here's your free money, right? They want wherever that money goes to be accountable for educating that, that child to a specific point because that's the public need. If privatization works and it's accountable, it works. Okay. But you should have to prove to those people, especially people in your own party, you should have to prove to those people that that dollar is going to be accountable and just say, Hey, you know what? Just trust me. Things are going to be okay. Just trust me. I, I just, uh, man, I just, where have we gone and what is the safety? Where, where's this, you know, national politics. I, I think I was naive in thinking that national politics were kind of crazy But, man, Texas is Texas. And now I'm looking at it going, wow, we we legitimately are sitting on $4 billion of money, and it's going to have a substantially negative impact on our education system. And the money's there. You can see it. You can grab it. You can touch it. It's just you can't send it down because a governor won't do it. And that, folks, is my thoughts on today.
0: (laughs) The rare deviation from college football slash city government
1: <laughs> Wow it's uh quite the soapbox moment for me there folks I'm sorry but yeah um,
0: I'm I'm interested to see how much of that I'm gonna have to uh
1: edit out trim up <laughs> yeah um yeah it, well I appreciate that yeah I mean look at the end of the day it goes back to the same comment we made about the business owner who went to the press about you know their sales volumes right source of truth in today's world is so important. People understanding that what they're fed is purposefully creating reaction. What they're fed, just like what they see on their social media feeds, is generating a reaction that increases your interest and your veracity to defend. Right? They're trying to find the mama bear reaction in everything you do because that's going to garner your vote. Um. They're not going to give you all the details of why they did what they did. Right. And the irony of this is there are candidates who are running for state house who endorsed Governor Abbott's opponent in the last election who have now been endorsed by Governor Abbott for the reelection. Because they're with them on this issue. Because they're with them on this one issue. Right? I mean wow that's that's wild that's it it is a it is a very 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 wild day
0: yeah to me, the takeaway here is and this is honestly something that we've really been talking about for at least three years now, mm-hmm. if not longer, but the the world that cities are operating in is becoming less stable it's becoming frankly stupider and but that doesn't negate the fact that that we as city managers like we actually have things that we have to do right we have to like yep. run our city take care of uh all of our services make sure you know that our residents are provided the things that we are obligated to provide them right meanwhile the entire ecosystem that we're in is just shifting and 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 changing and in ways that we can't really even predict and so it's really important for us to put ourselves in a situation where we can be financially stable and just independent of all of that noise
1: i'll never forget something dr bland said to us in a local government class don't know remember which one it was but it was Make decisions that you believe are the best decisions, regardless of whether it your job is relying on it or not, basically, is what he said, right? I think your comment there is really well said. Put yourself in a situation where you are financially secure, like the most Dave Ramsey thing we could say. (laughs) Put yourself in a situation where you're financially secure so that you can be the best city manager you possibly can be. Yeah, because it's going to get
0: wild out there. It's, yeah. I mean. <laughs> At least if current trends hold. Yeah. I'm really absolutely. interested to see what happens in two years when we realize that all of the the sales tax surplus that we spent last year is not sustainable for all of the tax savings uh, that we initiated.
1: Well, the big one is the, uh, if if you notice the ballot language that was on the proposition for the homestead exemption for education, it said temporary, right? Oh yeah.
0: Good luck calling back without some serious repercussions.
1: Well, I get it. But the reason they did that is because the fiscal note was only looking at, you know, basically a couple of years forward, right? Mm. And they're going to have to be able to handle, that's a compounding effect on that money. (laughs) So everybody forgets that. They're like, oh, it's just this amount of money. Well- Um, no,
0: because it's a flat amount. It's not a percentage based exemption.
1: It's it's no on the exemption piece, it's a flat amount, but for the uh, for the buy down school districts, the rate buy downs that also occurred, the compression buy downs. That those, part, yes. The, yeah. Those are continual. Yeah. Correct. So because when when value goes up, the rate buy down grows as well, right, mm-hmm. over years. So that that's still going uh, in today's world as well in the funding formula. Well, if, if people are still with us on this podcast, we probably ought to go ahead and wrap up. <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> so sounds good. Well, uh, Pat, I hope you had a good holidays. Good Christmas. Did, really. Yeah. And, um, it's nice to get back into the saddle. So we'll be back in, I guess, two weeks for yet another episode of your favorite podcast about local government.
1: We will be back in two weeks, uh, and, uh, staying on schedule, just like we promised last year. Uh, 2024 is going to be a crazy year for us for sure. Uh, we hope it's going to be a great year for y'all as well. Uh, and, uh, please reach out if you have any questions. See you, Chad. See you, Pat.